Thank you, Wendy, for opening God's word for us. And good morning, Good Shepherd. Those of you online, those of you in front of me, and of course, those of you behind me. <laughs> Gosh, this second Sunday in Lent, we continue to engage the sermon series called what? I give up. I give up. Waving the white flag, not beating ourselves up, but, but saying we cannot live the life that God has called us to on our own strength, on our own power, with our own wisdom. Now, fear and worry. Anybody ever encounter those emotions in your life? Let's give up fear and worry. That's not to say we're not going to fear and worry right? We are, it's going to come at us daily, if not minute by minute. But let's give up control. Let's give up control of our life to Jesus. Let's release with the Holy Spirit's help these honest and real emotions that we will encounter in life. And let's remember to let God fight our battles. Do you know that God fights our battles? In 1 Peter chapter 6, or excuse me, in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6, we hear this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. It's an act of humility to say, God, I can't do this by myself. Will you take my fear and my worry? Will you fight this battle with and for me? You know, what if we could turn back time, right? I know you turned forward time last night, I can, and you'd like to turn it back an hour maybe now. But what if we could turn back time to March 13th, 2020, that was the first day my kids did not go to Long Beach school because of this thing that we were all learning about called COVID-19. This Sunday, two years ago, I remember, Janae, you preaching a sermon with a camera right there, you know, recording. We did, you know, you weren't here. You all weren't here. You all weren't online yet because we hadn't reached that point of knowing what we were doing. But if we could turn back time, and do you think we'd, knowing what we know now, do you still think fear and worry would creep into our lives? Probably so. It stills here with many of us for many different reasons, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's a sickness or, or illness, whether it's the loss of a job or, or financial security, whether you're just getting stressed out about filling up your gas tank. Whether, as you look out over our nation and our world, into the lives of other people that we can only see right now through the television or read about on internet, we might even take some of their fear and worry upon us. The scripture passages that I want to read to you today, to begin with, there's going to be a couple other footnotes of Jesus' words to us, but I want to take you back to the time of King Hezekiah. Say King Hezekiah. King. King Hezekiah. 
He was 25 years old when he took over the throne from King Ahaz. And by the way, this is the time of Isaiah the prophet. And quite frankly, Isaiah the prophet was worn out with King Ahaz. He was exhausted. And in 2 Kings chapter 18, and by the way, I'm just going to only read you a snippet of this story. I hope you're intrigued to read 2 Kings 18 and 19 for the full-length story of what King Hezekiah is facing. But I want to give you a snapshot in 2 Kings 18, 1 through 8, about what kind of a king he was. God's word tells us, In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, the northern kingdom, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, the southern kingdom, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Let me just stop right there. Hezekiah was reforming the people of God's worship. They had even, nothing was wrong with the prophet Moses, get you, but they even started idolizing This snake, they were idolizing other things instead of the Lord. And so Hezekiah was reforming their worship. In verse 5, Hezekiah trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord That he had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. And he was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria. And he did not serve him. And from watchtower to the fortified city. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza. And its territory. So do you think King Hezekiah was a good king? Just by what you've heard in those eight verses? Absolutely. His heart was after the Lord. He was doing reform, leading God's people. Like I said, the prophet Isaiah was worn out from his dad, King Ahaz. And so you think with such a king as Hezekiah, do you think there might be fear and worry in his life? Well, actually there was, believe it or not. And if you read on through chapters 18 and 19 of 2 Kings you're going to see in a detailed view what Hezekiah had to face. But who of you ever have used cliff notes to study? I raise my own hand. (laughs) If you turn or listen to 2 Chronicles 32, this is the cliff notes version of the story. So King Hezekiah is going well. He's standing up to Assyria, his arch nemesis, And then in chapter 32 of 2 Chronicles, verse 1, this is what God's word tells us. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done 
Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked off all the springs, the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water? Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one and reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. So here we have Hezekiah preparing, even though worry and fear are behind him and in the hearts and minds of the people of Judah. And 2 Kings 18 and 19 lay that out in great detail if you want to see what fear and worry looks like. But then verse 6. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him at the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord God to help us and to what? Fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Lord God, would you continue to teach us this morning about what it means to turn over control when fear and worry come at us, to turn over control to you and to say, Lord, will you fight my battles for me? And so I pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us that this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name and God's people say, There's a great T-shirt out there um, for men that are 80 years old, okay? On this older man's T-shirt was written a sentence, I'm not 80 years old, I'm sweet 16 with 64 years of experience. (laughs) And oh, how all of us, though, need experience, right? No matter what age we are at to deal with fear and worry coming at us. It's no matter how many times we go through it, whether it's 64 times or 164 times, fear and worry are going to come at us. Friends, the issue of suffering, which oftentimes, right, brings upon fear and worry. The issue of suffering is the most frequently raised objection to the Christian faith, right? How can a loving God allow or permit suffering? Hezekiah was following the ways of the Lord. Obviously, the the Old Testament gives him High marks. There was not a king before him or after him as great as Hezekiah. Why would suffering come upon the people of God and upon him as a leader? We are constantly confronted with suffering. 
John Stott says, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. There's many times where I have said, and maybe you have too, that what? Life is unfair. On a global scale, community tragedies near and far. On an individual level, we might say, why does suffering happen? Life is not fair. Most any and all other religions, though, don't have this same type of promise with suffering, or, or excuse me, challenge with suffering that Christians do. C.S. Lewis once summarized, if he was arguing against being a Christian, he would say this, if God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. This is how a lot of people come at being followers of Jesus. If you are a good person, if you worship Jesus, if you seek to be a disciple of Jesus, why does suffering come upon you? Why do you have to worry and fe have fear at times? And you know as well as I do that theologians and philosophers have wrestled with this whole concept of suffering. And yet, we find this. The first verse of Jesus that I want to put up on the screen for you this morning from John 16, 33, where Jesus says what? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, when we ask God to fight our battles, even in the midst of suffering that at times we cannot fully comprehend or understand, remember these words of Jesus. Remember that he offers all of us a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that the world cannot give or offer us. And yet Jesus tells us what? In this world you will have trouble, heartache, pain, suffering, fear, worry, and doubt. But Jesus, friends, promises to fight our battles. Nadine Curry was a 13-year-old, five foot two if he was that, and weighing soaking wet probably not even 100 pounds. His attackers were teenagers, much larger than him, and outnumbered him seven to one that day. For 30 minutes, they hit and kicked and beat him. He never stood a chance. Curry's mom had recently moved the family to Philadelphia from Minnesota. She had lost her job as a hotel maid and was looking for work. In 2000, she escaped war-torn Liberia. And Adin Curry then was this new kid in a rough neighborhood with a mom who was unemployed, immigrant, everything that those bullies, right, that wolf pack of bullies needed to quote unquote justify their attack. There is an awful video 
put out about how they beat him only because one of the attackers, I guess, wasn't thinking and posted this video on YouTube. And so obviously the police were able to get involved and do what police do, and they were able to arrest these troublemakers and put them in jail. Well, of course, this story was a nationwide story. The show, The View, read the account and invited Curry to come and appear on the broadcast. And as this picture of his attack was being played on the screen behind him, he tried to appear to be brave, but his lower lip was quivering when he told the host of The View, Next time, maybe it could be somebody even smaller than me. At that point on the show, unbeknownst to Curry, a producer had invited some of the other Philadelphians to appear on the show that day. As the YouTube video ended, the curtain opened and three huge men walked out, members of the Philadelphia Eagles football team. Curry was a rabid fan of the Eagles. He turned and smiled and one back in the day was all-pro receiver Deshaun Jackson. Jackson took a seat on the couch as close as the boy as possible and promised him, anytime you need us, I got two linemen right here. <laughs> Curry's eyes widened, saucer-like as Jackson signed a football jersey, handed it to him, but then in full view of all the audience, he handed him a card and said, Curry, this is my cell phone number. If you ever need any help, you call it, and we'll be there. It's a pretty good offer, don't you think? <laughs> but friends, God gives us that same kind of promise. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Well, you might be out there saying, but yeah, I still have this sickness. I still lost my job. There are still fears that uh, encounter me day after day and disappointments, and they come after me just like those kids came after Curry. How can we honestly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Jesus said, as we just heard a few minutes ago, I have told you those things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And just as we heard in the story of King Hezekiah, with us is the Lord our God to help us and to what? Fight our battles. Our God will fight for us, Nehemiah says. And in Psalm 1, excuse me, Psalm 35 verse 1, fight against those who fight against me. Friends, I don't know how or exactly what that looks like all the time, but I do know this. The scripture says, and I believe with all my heart, that God will fight for you. Let those words sink into your heart and your mind this morning, that God is a God who will go to battle for you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering. Hear these words from Jesus from John chapter 14. All this I have spoken while still with you, 
But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Friends, I do know this, that Jesus wants to offer us his peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. We have a God that does not go on vacation. We have a God that does not sleep nor slumber. We have a God who wants to fight for us as we relinquish the challenge of holding on to fear and worry as we release them to him. As it said in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, believers should humble themselves. It's an act of humility, friends, under God's mighty and sovereign hand to humble ourselves and to open our hearts and our hands and say, God, I cannot deal with this on my own. And as we do that, the final scripture I want you to see this morning on the screen is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. The verse exactly after verse 6. Because as we humble ourselves, we're to what? Cast all our, your anxiety on him. Because what? He cares for you. He is our good shepherd. He loves you. He died for you. Believers humble themselves by casting their worries to God. By saying, God, help. I never thought of it this way, but worry is a form of pride. Now, that's not to beat me up or any of you up. Worry is a form of pride because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all the problems in their lives in their own strength, right? I am going to worry this through. I am going to be stressed out until I fix it. I solve it even if I make everybody else miserable around me, right? <laughs> the only God that I have when I do that is trust in myself, in my strength, in my abilities. When believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand, acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over all of life. And that's one thing I think the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation teach us, that God is sovereign. He has a plan and purpose even in the midst of suffering, even when fear and worry seek to attack us. A dear friend in ministry of my father-in-law, his name is Pastor Peter Kucher. And he's a Ukrainian-American living in Chicago today. And one of the things that I have learned even this past week is Pastor Peter says, the people from Ukraine have planted more churches than any other Eastern European country. Can you believe that? They have planted more churches than any other Eastern European country. And I know the, the enemies at work through what's going on, trying to discourage and distract the followers of Jesus. Friends, Christianity is thriving there, and the gospel is being promoted from Ukraine more than any other European nation. And so we need to be praying 
praying that the Holy Spirit will strengthen those Christians there and that the Lord will protect the seed of the gospel that has been planted there, even in the midst of unthinkable war and injustice. Through his many connections with Slavic Christians in the U.S., Pastor Lee understands something many Americans do not. Many of the Christians in Russia are upset of the recent attacks on Ukraine as well. They love Jesus. They love the church. They're not happy with what President Putin has done. And of course, they risk their lives if they speak out. Russian Christians, the ones I know, says Pastor Lee, are very grieved by what is happening, and they are praying for freedom and for an end to this conflict. Friends, God is sovereign and control. We may worry and fear, but can you imagine whether you're a follower of Jesus or not in the Ukraine today? Do you think worry and fear is before those dear people? Absolutely. I get emails from the Compassion Child sponsor that I sponsor in Ethiopia, and Ethiopia isn't on the news today, but there's a horrible civil war going on in Ethiopia, and there's famine and death and strife. And we could make the list far and near of things that are concerning and things that the enemy would want to cripple us with. But thanks be to God that the Lord fights our battles. Amen? Thanks be to God that we are invited to humble ourselves and to cast our anxiety, our fear, our worry upon Jesus because he will fight our battles because he cares for us. He loves us more than we can ever even imagine. And so I want to close our time with prayer. And Joy and I didn't coordinate this, but I had footnoted Psalm 121. So we're going to hear it again as we enter into prayer. Lord Jesus, you teach us this from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. And so, Lord God, remind each of us in this season of Lent to lift up our eyes to you, to cast all our anxiety upon you, because you care for us. You fight our battles for us. You love us so. And as we do that with the help of the Holy Spirit in humility to look beyond the troubles and to know that you are there to guide each and every one of our steps and to hold us close. And when lifting our eyes seem too hard 
May you reach out with that good shepherd hand and raise our faces to yours this day and every day that you give us. And may we know, as we're about to sing, that it will be well with our soul. Amen.